first story deals with a subculture of heavy metal music that some feel is sending a dangerous message to your kids. The forces of evil on the dark side of devil right. And I want to talk tonight about the devil and demons and witches and wizards. And we just mix it up with hardcore and aggression and come out with something that makes an original sound. Loud, fast, heavy, you know. Well, what do you got? What do you got? You're listening to Riff Worship, a weekly podcast where two friends discuss what makes a riff. Anyone can write a riff, but what makes a good riff? I'm one of your hosts, Austin, alongside me, as always, Dylan Adams. Baldini, as you have said for years. <laughs> the great Baldini. How are you, bud? How was your week? It's good. It's good. Um, you know, getting back, uh, had a couple things going on throughout the week, but overall pretty easy. Uh, did some research on the tracks we're talking about today. You know, listening to a couple new things here and there, just seeing what's out there. And there's some new releases that are coming out. They're going to be really cool. Um, I have, I did listen to the new Metallica record in full. Uh, I'm going to have, I'm going to have to listen to it again just because it is so long. It's, it's a 77 minute album. Um, you know, we can hate on that band all we want. They're the biggest band that's ever existed uh, when it comes to this form of music. It is what it is. You know, uh, I think song-wise, it all sounds the same. It's kind of the same tempo all the way through. Um, but, you know, it's it's very... This might be one of the most personal albums that I think James Hetfield has ever written, lyrically. I think this is one of the most personal Uh yeah, he's got a lot of lyrics that kind of repeat a lot throughout the whole catalog of the band's career. Um, the word misery has been used probably thousands of times in that band's catalog. <laughs> uh, I love the band. I have a soft spot for anything they release. Uh, you know, this is probably... I think Hardwired had a couple better tracks on it than this one, but this one's got some really cool ones on it. Uh, I think the the single Lux Eterna was rad. Um, it sounded like, you know, old lightning to the nation's riffs to me, just kind of like a, yes. it sounded like a kill them all track with an overly polished production. To me. It it definitely had some nods to like the new wave of British heavy metal, yeah, that kind of definitely. riffing. Um, I I'll be honest. I haven't listened to it all the way through. I haven't even sat down and listened outside of the singles. I, I think it, my approach to it now is I'm happy they're doing it. Uh, you know, I think there's an argument to be made. Like they're 60 It's whatever, you yeah. know, am I really, do I need it? Probably not. I don't know. It, you know, it's like, it's, do I need a new ACDC record in right. 2023? I, I don't, but I like, Hey, you ever going to stop? Are you just going to stop doing it? Right. You've been doing it. You're the only thing you've been doing your whole life. Are you just going to like, I will say anymore? this. And I know like, it's kind of chic at certain periods of time to be like Megadeth's better than Metallica and this and that. Um, you know, we all have our personal opinions on that matter. Um, I personally think, and this is just my caveman opinion, this album's better than the last Megadeth record. The Megadeth record had some mm -hmm. great tracks on it, but if you listen to the album in whole, it just sounds like the same song repeated. Uh, there was a song on that Megadeth album that made me laugh so hard. That's like, is it the is it the police truck cover? 
Uh, the Ted Nugent, or no, no, the Sammy Hagar cover. covers. There was like, there's a song where he's like, I want to go to space. Like, I want to be an, basically like a kid saying, I want to go, I want to be an astronaut or something. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an astronaut. <laughs> I'm like, all right, Dave, cool, man. Like, um, I don't know. You know, they, the guitar work still. Yeah. Oh, I think absolutely. They still both have chops. Stellar. Those bands um, are great. But this album is, uh, I mean, Ed Trunk's gonna be real stoked. <laughs> nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with this record. Uh, it's fun. He's, he was I stoked the on the. That. He loves the uh, the new L.A. Guns record. Which I don't. Which one of them I don't know. But he's. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's you know, I'm a diehard Metallica fan. I, I think even at that band's worst, it's better than most bands like Best Stuff. Uh, yeah, it's not 1986. Get you know exactly. we we all got to get over it at some point. It's better than the Black Album. I'll say that. The riffs that we're going to be talking about over the next couple weeks, this episode or the next episode, uh, I know we've covered anything from like hard rock to doom. Uh, we did some sludge. We talked about mm-hmm. typo. These are going to be very death metal focused episodes over the next couple Absolutely. weeks. Uh, you and I are both big fans of that genre. I think they produce some of the best riff. Uh, you know, whether uh, we're going to be covering some very caveman-esque riffs. We sure technic- are. Some technical riffs. Yep. Uh, but this first one ha- holds a special place in my heart. This is the first album I ever purchased from this band. Uh, it's the first death metal band I ever listened to, actually. Um I remember buying this record at my local record store. I I should say, I remember buying this on CD at my local record store, Kiss the Sky. Shout out Kiss the Sky in Batavia. Um, And uh, I bought this along with, uh, I think it was uh, Show No Mercy, both on CD. great. So I, I got both of these records together, and I was hiding them both under uh, another album. Because I didn't want my dad to see Show No, Show no Mercy and Death's Pick Leprosy. One. And just, you can if you can imagine the cover of Death's Leprosy along with Show No Mercy and, and try to explain that one to your father, you know, I was, I was just not ready to have that conversation. Oh. He, he saw me walking up a mile away, though, and he was like, what do you got under there? And I was like, oh, <laughs> no, nothing. It's fine. He's like, no, let me see it. And then he looked at, he took one look at it. He, he just laughed and was like, whatever, just, <laughs> just so, buy, it. get your records, let's go. Obviously, we're we're talking about. I don't want to, you know, go too far into this, but one of the bands we're talking about is very known for their artwork, mm. right? Yes. Um, let's just say this: my dad saw the Tomb of the Mutilated album, <laughs> and because oh, I had it on a shirt, I had it on a T-shirt, dude. And I used to wear that to work when I worked at the mall. Like, obviously, I worked at Hot Topic, yeah. So. And like, everyone was like, "Oh yeah, it's 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 disgusting. Wear it." And like, my dad saw me in that shirt one time, and he had to look probably four times really hard. And it, I don't think he uttered a word. He just said, "Take the fucking thing off." <laughs> I, I knew a kid who wore it to school. I, I saw a kid who wore and it was a full uh, mm-hmm. printed shirt. He wore it to school. And I was like, you are my hero. You're everything I wish I were. The cojones on that kid. <laughs> this, I think my, my parents, 
you know, have always been. I should. I don't know about supportive. They haven't really. They never really cared exactly what I listened to, probably. Right. But I think when I got into stuff like this, this is where the eyebrow was kind of raising. Like, are you <laughs> are you like trying to say something, or what is this? Like, why why are you? Why is this the step we're taking? Um, the the song in particular that we're talking about off of Death uh, Death's Leprosy from 1988 is Pull the Plug, and uh, this is like the fifth track off. This is their sophomore album. Uh, it's the fifth song off of it. It's not the first I heard. I think the, the, the first song I ever heard by the band was uh, Lack of Comprehension, which had the video, it, you know, comes off human, uh, yeah. definitely, definitely different sonically and you I wanna, know, very technical in comparison. Yeah. I want to uh, touch on that kind of when we get to the back portion of, uh, of our conversation about this song in particular. Um, but it had the video. It had the Lack of Comprehension. Mm-hmm. It had the video for it. And Is that the one that's in Florida where he's, the guy's running around like the swamps? Uh no, that's that philosopher. Uh, uh, the philosopher. This okay. one's kind of weird. It's it's just like a kid playing oh, guitar in his room. Yeah, and you know, I think you know he has like a drunk parent, and it's just very odd. I'm not really sure, but I know the guys from you know Cynic are in the video, and they're performing it like it's cutting between them performing yeah. live on stage, and um, I had never heard anything like it, and it, it was a moment where I knew I was like. Is it? I'm kind. Of, I was. You know, when you're yeah. not, you're watching something you're not supposed to be. When you're like, is it? So I don't know. this is pretty cool. Yeah. So the first time I saw that video, I was watching like, I guess in the the mid two thousands. You know, when I was like fifteen or sixteen, they released all of the Beavis and Butthead like box set DVDs, mm-hmm. and they did that song, and I just remember them watching it, and that was the first like click of like, oh, what is this? Um, but, uh, this, this song in particular, I am, um, I'm kind of a late grower to death. Uh, you know, I kind of dove into death metal in the early two thousands. So I got a lot of like the technical stuff. Um, you know, obviously the band we're going to talk about next is, uh, kind of a big proponent of that. Uh, but I got, I was a late bloomer when it came to scream bloody gore. Mm. Um, leprosy and spiritual healing because those were the first three death records I got I hooked on to like human and individual thought patterns and just like dove right in the musicianship on those the songwriting was a little a little bit more I don't want to say a little bit more like um complex even uh not to take away from those first three death records but uh because those first three are just so primal sounding and so you know um early very early death metal right you know the it's arguable that chuck Schuldiner created death metal um but it, it took me quite a few years to really get into like leprosy spiritual healing scream bloody gore in particular because it was so raw sounding and i was so used to hearing some of the uh i don't want to say overproduced because i don't think that's necessarily a thing when it comes to some death metal but the just like produced sound of the early 2000s death metal scene so i had i also had this i had the scream bloody gore Mm-hmm. on vinyl and while i like it the production is just oh it's horrid it's it's so yeah. bad it's a you are uh it is a tough listen yep this record though sounds uh, a lot better. massive improvement yeah. from that first record but it's still rude you when you said primal it's a very good point i, I do think you get some of the technicality mm-hmm. like sprinkles of that technicality you would hear even on, in this song yeah absolutely uh, that you would certainly hear on human or 
um, you know, individual thought patterns, but mm-hmm. you, it's very much also rooted in thrash and you know, some of the stuff that, you know, Metallica and Slayer had been doing just a handful of years earlier. Um, this is, uh, I believe this came out on combat records, even, which I think you're right. You know, Megadeth's first album, um, I think probably what probably put out Exodus as well. Uh, maybe some Dark Venom stuff. Angel? Dark, yeah, I would believe, you know, I would imagine so. Yeah. Um, this is the first example. And I know we probably get into this a little later uh, with our next band too, but uh, this is the first example also of Scott Burns. The, okay. I... Uh, of the engineer who who's just a, he's credited as an engineer on this right. album, but he's the dude. Like, yeah. That is the guy. If you think of, you know, early, this era of death metal, if, you if can't you think, not talk about Scott Burns. Yeah, I, I got confused because I didn't know if he engineered or actually produced it. Because even in some of the um, the research I did, it, there was still kind of a blurring of the lines. Because mm-hmm. as you said, like, he's the guy. When you think of, let's let's face it, when you think of, like, Florida death metal, you think of Scott Burns production. I mean... We could go. We could honestly do a whole episode about Scott Burns and his production, mm-hmm. and his influence, and that may be something we touch on. Uh, but I mean, he did obituary slowly rewrought, uh, sepultures beneath the remains. Uh, he did uh, what's the first um, Morbid Angel record, man? Oh, Alters, Alters. of Men. Yeah, yeah. He did um, Alters. Yeah, he did what the first five Cannibal records. Five man, he could have even done the first six. Yeah. Um, Cynic, gore guts, um, suffocation. I mean, he's just yeah. everywhere. This guy. I mean, people. I know he was obviously doing a lot of things in that Florida scene, but people were driving mm-hmm. from all over to make a record with this man. Um, I, the next, the, you know, the next band we're going to be talking about, Buffalo Guys. Yeah. They were. Oh, yeah. They drove all the way down to just work with Scott Burns. Um, it's. His production is so tied in with that early death metal scene. Um, and, you know, if you go back and listen to it now, you listen to it, and it's, it's a little muddy sounding. But at that point, no one really knew how to produce death metal. No one knew how to make kick drums sound that way. Guitars, bass, anything like that. It was just so dense and thick music. But it just shows, like, his production helped influence production on technical uh, te- the technicalities of death metal albums for the rest of eternity. Right. I mean, every every death metal album released now probably owes a credit to Scott Burns and his production on these early death records. Absolutely. Let's talk about, I want to talk about the lineup really quick. Absolutely. Obviously, you have Chuck, vocals and guitar. Um, you have Bill Andrews on drums. This is the only record to feature Rick Ross, but I know he actually Ooh. started with the band, basically, uh, mm-hmm. as Mantis, and then they kind of broke up a bunch here and there and then they you know reformed kind of even the the record before this is kind of weird where it credits chuck and uh chris uh Ryford. right uh right for from autopsy right and um, then there's a third guy who didn't steve even play De- on the record okay so the bass was played by steve DiGiorgio on that record there you go and this record credits uh terry terry butler Mm-hmm. Um, but he didn't actually play on this record. Thank you. you. I was going to yeah. touch on that too. So, you know, Chuck filling in on guitar, bass, and vocals. Uh, Rick Roz, uh, you know, helped uh, write a lot of the music on this mm-hmm. record. The album artwork, Ed Ripka 
of course. There we talked is. a little bit about Megadeth to start the yep. show. Obviously, he's known for uh, doing Peace Cells, Rust in Peace. Uh, I know if maybe a more contemporary record would be like Hazardous Mutation. Mm-hmm. Again, kind of another guy who is rooted in this style of music. There was a, a particular look that bands were trying to achieve, and he's the guy to kind of create that album artwork that kind of grimy almost like kind of reminds me of like goosebumps art like you that, that's that's the analogy i was going to use yeah um so with these with the next couple episodes we've got we're obviously going to talk about death metal but like all of these albums and songs we're talking about have for whatever reason death metal is just known for having killer artwork absolutely um i mean there's there's some names we could bring up you mentioned ed ripka uh dan seagraves another guy we're going to talk about Yep. Uh, Vince Locke, those guys. Um, I mean, the artwork is, I don't know if you were the, the same way I was when I was a kid. I would still buy stuff based off uh, album art from time to time. Yep. You know, the internet was kind of, you know, still out of our touch. Uh, and if I had seen this album when I was younger, I would have picked it up based that's off a, the artwork. That's exactly Simple. why I even got it. Honestly, this is why, that was the reason I think, Maybe I was aware. I think it it was a combination of hearing lack of comprehension and seeing that album artwork. I was like, this is different. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of like even like Cannibal, like you said, the artwork, yep. Eaten Back to Life. I would always see that in the record store. I'm like, that is wretched. Like, I don't understand what's going on here. Who greenlit this to be on an album cover <laughs> but i want it and i must have it now it, uh, it, it's what? it's remarkable what the artwork can do for you even today i will you know obviously buying records today is a little bit different but i will still look at the artwork and you know even with like modern acts like i'll look at the artwork or bigger acts like uh you know just a quick segue like Anytime Bjork releases a record, I look at the artwork and it's usually some sort of weird, like it's some sort of weird character on there and it always ties me in. Yeah. Um, but the, I mean, the artwork on this record is, I mean, we could go on for hours about the artwork on this album and, and what artwork meant to us and what it still means to me uh, when it comes to finding a new record. And I mean, I know it's, I've always kind of thought buying the album cover t-shirt was always you know, cliche, but like, I, I love it. If it's an album I love, bring it on. Speaking of, I think you got me for Christmas. You got me a screen, uh, screen bloody gore. I sure did. With the Ed Repka art. Uh-huh. And, uh, I still, still love it. Um, the, uh, this album, it's rooted in thrash. There's a little bit of technicality to it, technicality to it. Um, lyrically, very brutal, very gory. Uh, to kind of go off of the first one because you go on to those later records he's getting very uh, personal and philosophical and um, spiritual this is just I mean pull the plug what more could you really say well I wanted the touch on the lyrics on this song that's a that's a good tie-in is that uh, I believe this song is written about somebody on life support that is that doesn't want to live on life support right i believe that's written about hey you know if i end up in that situation please just quote unquote pull the plug so how you know 
how this song leads into the quote unquote chorus where it's just the why don't you da, 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 da. I mean that's great. That's that's just great tie-in. It clearly shows that Chuck, who we I don't think we've really touched on enough just yet, uh, because I'm sure he's gonna come back up in in album scopes or whatever. And um it clearly shows how much of an ear for uh, song structure he did have just yes. to add something like that in there and, and writing the lyrics. I mean, even though it may be more like traditional death metal, like gore, you know, into the world, aliens, that sort of stuff. Uh, he, you can clearly make a good song with lyrical uh, influences like that to, you know, create a good tie in to make the, make the chorus be more impactful. Um, you know, this, this song has a pretty, pretty standard song structure for like heavy music um i mean it's got verses and chorus but it's got it's got two separate bridges on it to an extent um you know the it is very rooted and thrash to which they at this period of death metal they were still allowing room to breathe for like certain parts so you could put cool lyrics over the top of it and almost have a bit of a melody um yes. You know, I oh, I've always thought Chuck was more of a song guy first and then lyrics second because it's very obvious throughout that band's catalog that the songs just got more complex. Yes. Um always pushing the he's always getting better. From that first record there is a clear uh progression in his um playing ability uh you know taking on different like scales and right. um he is uh, very much a, I would lump him in that kind of shredding thing in a little bit, but it's not like, I also wouldn't say he's just playing to play. There is right. a tasteful tastefulness to um, his songwriting ability. It's not just cut and paste. Everything mm-hmm. kind of is very well thought out and constructed in a way that makes sense. Um, and one of the really surprising things about Chuck that some of the the tone on this record you know mm-hmm. there's a there is a distinct tone to death um especially maybe on like especially on those kind of later records there's like maybe like a chorusy kind of right. um effect to um the guitar but i really was shocked to find out that he is really just a steak and potatoes kind of guy he yep. does not really use anything on this record he he did use a bostius one Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe maybe a um, into an old Marshall, right? Yeah, like a JCM eight hundred. But as soon as he got a, a valve state, yeah, like he didn't use he didn't use anything else. He just yep. plugged basically right into that. Um, Demarzio pickups. Uh, you know he um, is this yeah. the handmade guitar he used? On this I think one? it's the, the one I think it's the saw the edges off. Um, I'm not sure. When I look at the some of the videos, like the live videos from this era. Um, it looks like he is using that BC Rich stealth. Okay. One pickup, just yep. one knob, just turn it all the way up. Like whatever. You, you get what you got. Yeah, that's that's all you need, man. That that is all you need. Sometimes when it comes to like sometimes when it comes to music, especially in the heavier genres, I mean, one and done. That's all you need. Just plug and play, turn it on. You who needs a tone knob? Um, you know, we're not turning those things down if we're playing like mm-hmm. stuff like this. You know, very rarely, even the lead guys, and which we'll touch on with 
a couple of the other bands are, are very rarely switching to the neck pickup at all. No, it's just in the never. way. This is also the first time I'd ever seen a guitar kind of like that as well, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense for me. I am not a guy who likes to fiddle around with anything. If right. the pedal board, I like a very concise, I might yep. use a couple things, but I am not thinking about it. And it's right. because of my dumb caveman brain. I don't want to have to <laughs> remember to switch a, you know, a pedal yep. on here or there, turn up the knob, turn my things on and I'll see you in 30 minutes. Like Ta- that's tape it. it down. Let me play the set. <laughs> what's, what's a tuner. Let me just, does it Uga? All right, we got all it. Right, that's it. That's all y'all. So, Oh, one thing I kind of wanted to bring up about the meat and potatoes part is obviously there's a very, there's a very kind of sludgy, you know, we say that word loosely, but there's a very sludgy feel to uh, the first death records because they were tuned down a full step. Yes. Um, So you can kind of get a feel of a little bit more vibrato. The notes are there. Um, You know, it's more vibrato. The notes are kind of bent a little bit. They're not necessarily out of tune. They're just kind of get bent out of key a couple times. And, um, but tuning down adds a little bit more oomph to the production as well. Adds a little bit more oomph to the riffs. Um, you know, we touched on the bass recording, speaking of oomph, uh, Terry Butler, uh, I, I was reading on this a little while ago. Uh, Terry Butler only had four hours to do the bass tracks and he had only been playing bass for like a year or so. And he basically was like, listen, Chuck, please, you know, record the tracks. Um, but I want to talk about like, obviously focusing on the track, but the importance of death to the death metal scene with how many different musicians played in death at different points that formed different bands. I mean, Terry Butler, we'll start with him. Terry Butler, obviously in death, went on to be in six feet under, which we don't talk about. (laughs) <laughs> um, now he's in obituary having yeah. the best time. Um, I, yeah, I would, I would be having a much better yeah. time. Oh yeah. Uh, man, he I must, mean, Chris Barnes has something on Brian Slago, I think, man, we're going to touch on that here in a few minutes. <laughs> uh, so, um, obviously you had James Murphy who was in, uh, disincarnate, uh, that was in death as well. James Murphy, I believe, was also in Testament at one point. Mm. Uh, Chris Reinhardt. No, not Reinhardt. That's Cynic. Uh, Chris Reifart, I think is how you pronounce it. From the first record, yeah. Yeah, from the first record. He was in Autopsy. I mean, yeah. Steve DiGiorgio, who is now in Testament, has been in Sadus. Like, you name it. And he recorded on the last Megadeth record. Like, yep. one of the best bass players in death metal. And, and metal Hoagland. in general. G- Thank you. The Machine. Uh, Gene Hoagland. Strapping Young Lad, Testament, Dark Angel. I mean, you name it. The somehow Chuck had this grasp on like he could get whoever he wanted. Oh, hell, we forgot about Cynic. Cynic yeah. was basically this band for two years. Right. Um, I mean, the alumni of this band is crazy. Crazy and to yet- think about. And uh, Richard Christie from Howard Stern. Right, yeah. Ice, <laughs> Ice Earth, Howard Stern. What was the other one? Charred Walls of the Damned or something. But Charred uh, Walls of the Damned. Um all of these players, and yet he uh he's not like letting them do all the way. I mean, he's still bringing it himself too. Yeah. Um, I think it really is just uh having a standard for how it should be and getting the guys right. that you know can also bring that technicality 
to what, you know, like I want to achieve this and I know these guys can do it. Absolutely. One of the other things I wanted to touch on was the relationship with the death discography and Mm -hmm. relapse records, Yes, which they've been kind of putting out uh, uh, several reissues of the discography over the past few years. Um, this record included, mm-hmm. I think I, my CD would have been, uh, I think Century Media even had the uh, rights to this for a second. So I think I had, you know, it was on combat. Right. I think Century Media did like a little uh, like digital package or like CD thing with it. Uh, but then Relapse has now right. been kind of, you know, uh, uh, leading the charge on putting together some really great packages of these records. Um those I, remasters I are great. They're the, fantastic. I mean, they're, they they're include fantastic. they include like a bunch of like, you know bonus stuff like live shows. Mm-hmm. Um, although sometimes I feel like they kind of do they go overboard a little bit with it. I think they announced um, just a little while ago. They it's were, a greatest hits. Yeah, it's coming I'm out like, on, why do why do it's I coming need out that? on record store day? That's crazy. I mean, good. I, all right. I mean, yeah. I guess I can't really argue. Like, all right, it's out there. So if I yep. did want it, it's there. But it's there. Um, I mean, the repress, what's great about the represses is that they get to go out the people that couldn't get them or they get to go out the people that get to discover this band for the first time. Although I think there's oversaturation, you know, it's, they've been releasing these, uh, you know, these remasters, re-releases, whatever they're going to call them, special editions, I believe since around 2010, 2011, Mm-hmm. And it seems like every year there's another batch of them. There's another batch of them. Yeah. I think the only album they haven't released is Symbolic because Roadrunner Records owns that. Ah, uh, okay. Interesting. And it, it's a shame that they haven't released Symbolic, but yet they continue to release Sound of Perseverance, which is, I'm not even going to touch on that. Um, I don't I don't think it's a like necessarily bad record, but knowing the backstory, it's, it wasn't really yeah. meant to be. That. Right. It wasn't, it's, he was, he, had, he was already out the door kind of at that point. Yeah. There was a quote from, or a tweet. It was a tweet from, um, I think it's Bo from Harm's Way. And obviously it's about Symbolic, but I feel the same way about Sound of Perseverance. He's like, yeah, Symbolic's okay, but like his heart just wasn't in it. It was just like, oh, it's just kind of there. Yeah. He he clearly wanted to do other things. And I can't blame him for that. You know, I think if you're a creative person at any any capacity, Mm -hmm. You know, you really don't want to have to phone it in. Right. And if you felt like, you know, if, if you kind of lose interest in a certain thing, I would I would rather you not half-ass the thing that I like. And right. maybe, who knows, maybe he would have returned to it at a certain point. But, um, you know, he clearly wanted to kind of pursue mm-hmm. a creative outlet with Control Denied. And I like some of that stuff. I think it's, yeah. it's cool. Um, I'm, you know, just more of a death metal guy. So I'm yeah. always going to go back to those uh, first few death records. Um, hell. Uh, speaking of death guys, uh, Matt Harvey exhumed. I definitely want right. to touch on that. Yep. Uh, gr- or gruesome. There we gruesome. go. Gruesome. And then uh, what's the other one? Left to die. I think literally a he, track off of this album. Yep. That one just started. I believe that's like a. It's not a super group. I know they're going to be writing their own music, but it's essentially a band that focuses on playing stuff from the first two or three death records. Yeah. I think Terry Butler's in it. Terry Butler, Rick Roz, and then two guys from, uh, you know, it's Matt Harvey, Exhumed, yeah. Gruesome, and then uh, Gus Rios, uh, who's also okay. Gruesome. Right. Um, 
which is really cool. When that project first came out, you know, we definitely kind of looked to each other and like, oh, wow, this is a really interesting way to kind of honor the band and Chuck's legacy in that you can just, we're going to have our own band and write creative uh, original material, but in the style of each record which is a really interesting way to look at this band in that you can literally take any album and there's a distinct sonic quality to each yeah. record and you and people get it. If you listen to it right. enough, you can really tell like spiritual healing is not the same as leprosy. Leprosy is right. not the same as human or individual thought patterns. There's like a genuinely a a distinct uh kind of characteristic for each record depending right. on the players on them the time, the mindset, a very interesting kind of look at this band. And then to, I'm sure it kind of inspired the guys who were actually in the band to go, mm-hmm. well, why wouldn't we just, why don't we just play these songs live? Like, why don't we just go back to, right. you know, Hey, we were in this band. I'd love to play these songs again. That'd be pretty cool. And you know, there's been the death to all tours that they've done for the, yep. like, the past 10 years or so on and off, uh, you know, showing tribute to the death catalog. Um, you know, Matt Harvey from Exhumed and is a great songwriter in his own right. Um, you know, he started, he obviously has, it's, uh, left the die, right? That's the, that's the recent band that he's, I believe so. Uh, yeah. Started. I believe, yeah. Left you know, the die. left the die is doing those first couple records, but that's where gruesome started out. They were just a tribute band for death for the first couple records. And I think the idea of, gruesome was that with each new record they do they they explore the next era of death yep and i think the last thing gruesome released was a split 10 inch with mm-hmm. exhumed nice. and i really i think that was more the spiritual healing kind of style so i think they're on next to the more kind of technical style and i don't know how that's gonna come to fruition or if it even will you know it, it may just kind of take a back seat and even again to uh look back at our earlier statement about album artwork. They mm-hmm. even do kind of a fun rip their yep. own take, a modern take on the leprosy art or, um, you know, it's all, it's a, it's original material, but it's all done through the lens of, okay, how would, a, how would Chuck have written this right. during this era? But yeah. And then kind of, uh, fun, you know, Ed Repka knockoffs, uh, you know, done so well. It's, you know, this band is, it's fun to think back at all the different tribute acts that have came from or been influenced by this band and have done things. And they always reference those first kind of that first era of death. They never really touch on the technical side. And, you know, there are musicians that do, but those are kind of musicians in the know. Uh, it's always referenced Scream Bloody Gore, Leprosy, Spiritual Healing. And it clearly shows what those first three death albums did, or or first two in particular, did for the genre. Uh, One thing I wanted to add on this one was that, uh, obviously, you and I are subscribers to Decibel Magazine. We have been for years and years. I think I I started my subscription in 2007. Um, And this, Decibel's prone to release these like top 100 special issues from time to time. And this album actually got number six uh, best death metal uh, albums. I think it was trumped by Human at number three. Oh, neat! That's wild to think about. Yeah, but yeah, uh, first I wasn't a subscriber at the time. I was a death fan, however, and I had heard that hey, 
there's a magazine that's putting out this really special kind of full page kind of really awesome tribute to Chuck and death and and it's got him on the cover he's looking like you know blood off his finger um and I ordered yeah, that's it. it and I that was my first issue of decibel magazine I, I hadn't I, I hadn't subscribed yet but yep that's the very one and uh, it has a flexi uh you know revocation doing pull the plug on it which yep. is super cool um you know a band that again super uh strong songwriting and technicality yep. definitely influenced uh by this band i would say uh, oh without a doubt without a doubt but you know while it is still very primitive it's still rooted in thrash this is i f- i feel like a moment in the uh formation of death metal where it, all right now it's arrived you run with it here you go yeah definitely um you know as you said it may be thrash rooted the first record definitely seemed more of a thrash record than this mm-hmm. one uh this is as you said this is the first one of those early records that said now it's a death metal record yep uh i mean yeah it may have been pre- this album may have been predated or maybe it came right after uh beneath the remains from sepultura mm-hmm. uh but even it sounds like a thrash record right you know uh even uh, some of the early bands that were considered like death metal sound like it just they just sound like yeah. thrash records. They're just a little more aggressive, you know. Uh, uh, even that morbid, first morbid, morbid angel record yeah. sounds kind of thrashy. Um, it's it's got like it's different, and yet you can still kind of tie it in. But on you know you kind of you could still kind of tie it in, but it might have taken like one a release or two yeah. to really just kind of yeah. all right. We're doing something different here. And it's, you know, I was going to bring this up, too, is that this song's not that fast. No. You know, it's not this crazy high-speed tech race. It's, you know, 140, 160, maybe somewhere around there. It's got a good groove to it, which you touched on earlier. Uh, It clearly shows that death metal is this very varied and wide thing that you can write, you know, something as slow as, like, Evoken or Incantation. Um and then you can write something that's like hyper fast, like a modern band, like Arch Spire, which is just like ridiculous, you know, 400 yeah. BPM songs. Um, but it just shows what you can do with death metal. It's not this limited thing. And I think Chuck Schuldiner's writing really, you know, touches on all of that, that you can write whatever you want and it be death metal. So I checked Twitter as we like stepped away and I want to read you some of these. I sent you one and it's about the band Bellwitch. The band Bellwitch is trending on Twitter. Oh so yeah. Here's what's remarkable is like, they're all talking about how long this, like this album is apparently part one of a three part series that they're doing. It's 83 minutes oh, and it's a God. single song. I so these all sound like me. Uh, I sent you one and it's just some guy going, the new Bellwitch LP is a single 83 minute track that starts with an eight minute organ piece. <laughs> and it just has a photo of Scorsese saying, this is cinema. <laughs> uh, another one is a hate five, six going Bellwitch trending on Twitter with a new song that once again, runs hour 23 minutes. Give me flashbacks to this night. Oh, he filmed Bellwitch. That's hysterical. Oh, those arms were tired, man. It's remarkable that this band is trending. Like, I'm going to listen to the record. Oh, yeah. But I'm going to have to, like, just go, all right, I have to clear two hours out because I'm going to need a reset after it. Does I'm going to have to listen to, like, a grind record after it. Does the does the, does the the boys' bowl have food in it? Because it's going to be a minute. 
Um, I really liked Mirror Reaper. And, that was good. Uh, I'm, you know, the one of the classics, Longing. I think mm-hmm. that's a really great record. Um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't, I need to clear out my schedule a little bit to listen to that one for sure. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, here, I will get to it. There, are there, here I was like griping about a 77 minute Metallica record, and I'm like, 83 minutes, one song, bring it on. <laughs> now, one of the one of the tweets was like, does this thing have more than four riffs? <laughs> I was like, God. Do they all are they do these people all live in my head because this is terrifying. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah, I would love to see what that uh I bet they'd perform it. Would they perform it once, you think? Man, knowing that band, if they're releasing 83 minute 83 minute long records, I bet I bet they tore the damn thing. When you said you saw Sleep, mm-hmm. and they would do like a like a snippet. Like a they 15 do, minute snippet of Dope Smoker? They would do bits and pieces of it. Like they they could basically take that song and sp- or split it apart and go like, we're going to play this 15 minute portion or this <laughs> eight minute portion. Yeah, It's like, hey man, it's the same riff. I'm cool with it. Like, it's all right. You're the whole, Holy Mountain was better than this one. Like, sorry guys. The, uh, I hadn't seen too many doom, man, uh, doom metal bands uh, in my, in my time and going to shows. I mean, I've seen Paul Bear. Did you? you? But I. That's true. I saw Paul Bearer tour on their first album. Really? Uh huh. Well, um, Arkansas. No, no, no. This was here. This was Nashville. Oh, okay. Um, but they are from Arkansas. Yep. Um, did you go to the show that we saw Loss? Yes. Okay. I was just about to talk about that because that would probably would have been the first Doom show I ever. Mm-hmm. Would did they play? Was that the that one? Was, was it? Was Weider? that Vitus? So that was my first Nashville show. Yep. That was my first That's ever cool. Nashville at Exit Inn. It would have been Loss, Weed Eater, and St. Vitus. And Loss is some heavy shit. I was every bit 18 years old. Oh, that is yeah. bonkers. Yeah. I was 22, maybe at the time. Yeah. I think like I'm four years old. 2012, 2013. Yeah. Great show. Drummer yeah. from Weed Eater was sitting on a cooler of beer, just sitting pulling them out. Cooler, every- pulling out. Pulling out silver bullets, like just <laughs> yanking them out in between songs. I was like, "All right, this this band this band gets it. I'm down with this band." The uh, next band we're talking about. Oh man, uh, definitely influenced by Death. I actually absolutely. Read, you'd mentioned people. A lot of people will highlight the first three records. Corpse yep. Grinder. Oh, will kind of spotlight Scream Bloody Gore as a moment. Yeah, like, hey, this was a very pivotal record for me personally. Um, this was a record I I haven't really listened to Kill Ooh. that much. Man, I I hope after this you go in and listen to it. It's a forty minute long record, and the way it starts is like, oh, we're just we're just in for a fight for the next thirty minutes. <laughs> we're, we're we're fighting the naked guy outside of the convenience store that just wants his one like palm all menthol. Like you're fighting that guy for forty minutes. It's certainly a statement. Having listened to it now, you know, you go in, you record your ten your your tenth record, which Man. a lot of bands, especially in this style of music, really probably don't get to say or uh, even the trajectory that they've had as far as being around for what 40 years at this point we're getting close it's 35 or 40 we're getting there that never happens you don't just get (laughs) introduced you don't just get introduced into the uh um you know 
Buffalo Hall of Music Hall of Fame for nothing. Man, it's <laughs> Cannibal this Corpse, band, man. This Cannibal Corpse is absolutely, and this is proven, you know, proven with sales, everything. Nielsen Soundscan. Cannibal Corpse is absolutely the biggest selling death metal band of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the importance of this band is insane. They sometimes they don't get mentioned in the names of like Death, Deicide, Morbid Angel, some of those bands, but it's like, okay, like great. We have those albums from those bands. But what's great about Cannibal Corpse is they've never changed their style. Uh, they've just become a better version of themselves. That when you get a Cannibal Corpse record, you know what you're getting. Every so often, you get like an outlier like this one. That's like what we thought we knew this band, but we're getting something else. Uh, I mean, Cannibal Corpse is is kind of the standard for death metal. Like when I mean, a band forty years or thirty years into their career, and you and I will actually go like, "Hey, there's a new Cannibal record coming out." And it's like, "All right, bring it on." We know we're going to get a barrage of riffs. It's kind of like the crowbar thing where you hear crowbar records coming out Mm -hmm. and you know that you're going to get something worth listening to. Every time I hear uh, a Cannibal Corpse records coming out, I immediately run into the streets, you know, and, (laughs) and greet the neighborhood. It, it, you're usually, you're going to have some fantastic singles, uh, definitely some new songs that are going to be staples of their, uh, you know, tour set, you know, every, every record within the past five, 10 years, I've yeah. been a huge fan of, um, I think I became more, you know, I'd heard, um, you know, we kind of talked about like Tomb of the Mutilated mm-hmm. and, you know, eating back to life, uh, you know, vile, I uh, love the wretched spawn. Oh. Um, I, I feel like I probably ca- became, I want I want to say evisceration play came out in like 2009. Oh, yep. So I was maybe a freshman or sophomore in high school. Right. I was kind of again I this is probably a few years after I I had found Death and Morbid mm-hmm. Angel um you know some of those bands but evisceration play was a huge record for me and to be a later record at that is yep. saying something that there is something here even now you know, in the modern age of you have bands like revocation, you have uh, bands like cattle decapitation. Uh, all of these bands exist in the modern age. And, you know, here's guys that are like 10, 20 years older that are Man. still writing such intricate, well-written songs. The only band that I've seen in, you know, kind of my, you know, my age of growing up and listening to extreme music, the only band that can hold a candle with the consistency, the releasing, the staying relevant is the Black Dahlia Murder. Yeah. Uh, we know that a tragedy struck that band a couple of years ago, and that band is still going. Mm-hmm. And luckily, it's a member of their own band taking over the That's vocals, really cool. I really good. Lo- no, go ahead. I- I'm sorry. I was just say I was just going to say that's it's a really cool way to, you know, do that. Oh, man. Keep it in house. I, um, I, I get to be very lucky and see that band next Thursday. Uh, oh. I've never. Uh, so by the time this airs, I will have seen the Black Dahlia murder in uh, on April 28th. Um, and uh, it's at the East Side Bowl in Nashville. Oh, I didn't even um, get to go. And it's um, I've I've never seen the, that band. 
which I am definitely going to bring that band up at a different point. Uh, that's a big deal band for me. But let's let's get back to um, to kill and and this track. Yeah, what and out of all what, of the songs that you could have brought up, man? Why this one? I, I'm glad you brought that up because you could pick any song on this album. You could pick any riff on this album and just go and immediately get the the emotion and the feel of the fact that this is an album not to be messed with. The reason I brought this track is I'm getting chills talking about this because. I remember I saw the, I used to go to metalbladesrecords.com and just go like, what, what's coming out? What do I need to look for? And before this record came out, as soon as you'd open up their website, there was like a video snippet of the make them suffer video. Mm. And I went, Oh, that sounds rad. And then the video released and I went, Oh my God. What? Oh, Oh my God. Like <laughs> not knowing, like I had heard hammer smash face. It was like, this is cool. Like it's great. It's got a bass break in it. It's loud. Like it's very guttural vocals. But when I heard this, like it completely rewired my brain. It was like, it, it was like taking ayahuasca and like laying in a bed and just rewiring your brain. <laughs> uh, I bought the album on the day it came out. I went to the local music store, picked it up and I put it in my little disc man on the ride home. And I heard, when I heard the opening frequency of the Time to Kill Is Now, which is the opening track, and it's just that long scream for 45 seconds. And I'm sure that is a one-take thing with him. Uh, I heard that, and then it just goes into this barrage of riffs, but then it kicks into the verse riff, and it's this very low, guttural-sounding tuning that they're using, as well as George Fisher just kicking in and, like, it's a two-minute song. Yeah, what a way to start a record like that. It's just a punch in the mouth. It's that's it's a sign. It's a it's a note going, here's what you're in for for the next 40 minutes. Their 10th record. And out a band that basically could have been written off at some point going, Death Metal's dead. It's not. I think this band helped bring Death Metal back to uh the masses that it should have. Uh this album is a resurgence for the career. If this album hadn't happened, I don't know if they would have the uh the you know, legacy that they have now. Uh, I mean, this came out 10 years after George Fisher's first record. So it came out in 2006. Um, this was the first record recorded at Mana Recordings with mm. one of our favorites, uh, Eric Rutan at the helm. Uh, he does guest vocals on this song. At the end of it, there's this great kind of layered scream where they keep going, the time to kill is now, the time to kill is now. And you can hear these high screams under it and it's it's Eric. And it's just so cool. I mean, to, this track just lets you know that this album is going to be a beating. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's. I mean, it, it goes straight from that song. I think straight into "Make Them Suffer." Uh, I believe you're correct. Yeah, it's kind of cool um, to see. He's been work. Eric uh, Rutan has been working with this band damn near twenty years. Look at him now. Yeah, and now just a member of the band. Um, Hey man, a, a death metal lineage that dude has in multiple facets. I mean, Hate Eternal, Morbid Angel, uh, Ripping Corpse. Thank you. Uh, you know, Jersey's a, they're the yeah. band from Jersey, right? Correct. Yeah, right. I always think of them in uh, Human Remains, Thank which you. is another that, yeah. band I will definitely bring up at some point, uh, just for the sheer fact of how odd they are, but certainly uh, influenced by Ripping Corpse and you know, yeah. just that it's, style of playing. Uh, also to kind of touch on this, I'm sure we'll bring up Morbid Angel at some point, but mm-hmm. 
Eric Eric played on the best Morbid Angel records. I'm sorry, he played on uh, Domination and he played on Covenant. Um, you know, yeah, he didn't play on Blessed of the Sick, and that's a rad record. But those yeah. two are, I mean, he had he could literally just tip his hat at like, oh yeah, I recorded on the record that God of Emptiness was on. Like, come on, <laughs> uh, like yeah, I was there before David Vincent sli- uh, slid into those fucking leathers. Like, I was there uh, um, before he became a vampire hunter. <laughs> Uh, Dr. David Van Helsing. Um, (laughs) so this, this album, which we touched on a few bands that tuned to C sharp, these guys do in a weird way. Um, these guys have always used low tunings. You know, they went from like, uh, from an E flat to a D flat or C sharp, uh, down to a B flat. This is the first record that they used like an A flat or a G sharp tuning on. So basically these, uh, uh, Pat O'Brien uh, and Rob Barrett are the guitar players on this mm-hmm. record. Alex Webster's on it. Pat and uh, Rob tuned their guitars down to G sharp, but they stuck with six string guitars. So they were baritone scale in a lot. I uh, wanted to bring this up too. Rob Barrett, who has been, who was out of the band at one point. Uh, this is his first record back. And Rob Barrett was uh, a big writer on, I think, Tomb of the Mutilated up through Vile. He wrote on, Tomb of the Mutilated, The Bleeding, and Vile, yeah. and then he left. And then I believe Pat was his actual replacement. So this is wild. And this album definitely shows, like, it's funny that that band has been able to keep guys that are all in it that are somehow connected to that band anyway. I mean, Rob Barrett is a New York guy. He yep. came from Buffalo. Uh, he moved down to Florida as well, was in uh, Malevolent Creation, Solstice, uh, a couple, um, probably Monstrosity at one point. Yeah, a couple um, like- those like thrash, like second, third wave thrash yeah. bands over yeah. there. Um, but I mean, this album is tuned down to G sharp, C sharp tuning, uh, which is very low, but it fits the tone of George Fisher's vocals. And uh, it just fits the overall vibe of it. Adds kind of a, kind of a down tuned sludgy vibe to it, but these guys play it so well that it doesn't sound like a sludge band. Uh, I mean, the musical uh, ability of, Every guy in this band is insane. Uh, George, I mean, arguably the best singer in death metal. Oh, no question. Most recognizable. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Uh, a lot of people really like the Chris Barnes era of this band. Uh, you're not necessarily wrong in liking that, but George Fisher's era is the best. I'm sorry. He's a better vocalist. Um, it's It's all of the... The man I mean, enunciates. Yeah, which doesn't really You can happen. tell what he's saying. Yeah, which it, it's not necessarily a make or break for me, but it, just that he has that ability to let every syllable kind of yes. break through uh, the music and even today to still do that. <laughs> I mean, his voice has definitely paid a price yeah. for sure, but easily one of the best. Yeah. of all time if not the best um i mean there's like i touched on earlier that high scream that opens up this song i guarantee it was i'm sure he did multiple takes of it but it wasn't you know pieced together it wasn't you know edited i mean that's that's there i mean i think all the power comes from the neck in that man <laughs> um I, I don't think i don't think there's any other talent there it's just straight neck the entire time um I mean, this album is 
was something. I don't think anybody expected this from this band at this point in time. Um, I mean, this this album just hits so hard. It, it's, you know, it, it's it's like an old chair shot in the WWE or something <laughs> like that. Just straight to the dome, unprotected, just the entire time. Well, and how about a record? We kind of discussed album artwork in the first oh, part of this episode. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, a band that is very well known for having mm-hmm. some of the most uh, egregious fucked up record covers <laughs> of all time. I mean, you mentioned the Wretched Spawn before it. Yeah. Oof. Uh, this uh, lack thereof a album cover, basically. So, I guess they just couldn't decide and decided, I guess that was we essentially just it. won't do one. Well, um, Vince Locke still did the artwork. Like I remember if you bought the uh, the Jewel Case CD, you could open it up, pop the CD out, and the artwork was behind the CD. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason they did it was they weren't necessarily happy with the artwork. Not that it was a bad piece of art, because it's a really cool piece. It's just they weren't necessarily happy with how it came out, so they just put kill in straight letters on the front. And I don't think it really grasped them, too, that they could now sell that record anywhere. Oh, and yeah. it was it like, oh, it just says kill and maroon. I'm going to grab that. <laughs> and it was the incredible Vince Locke and every art he's done. He's done T-shirts, banners, you name it. Vince Locke is is synonymous with Cannibal Corpse. The um the most recent record. Did he do? Oh, did he, he do sure that did. album cover? Oh, yeah. Do, they haven't not done that. The. uh it's a very tame like a th- album cover in comparison yes. to some of their other ones, but you bought that flag and well i I got some like special edition version of the album that came with the flag, yeah, and the special edition has just the standard artwork on it, yeah, uh, but it came with that flag which has the uncensored art on it, <laughs> and you just put it up it's in my garage, yeah, you know next to the yeah. <laughs> next to the tools. Next to the tools, right there. Um, I mean, this this band is. I think sometimes this band gets known more for the gore aspect of it than they do the actual musicianship. And I think they've slightly backed away from that throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, th- th- I have nothing negative to ever say about this band. Uh, I've seen them, I believe, four times at this point um, throughout the years. I saw I saw them on this tour. Matter of fact. Oh um, yeah, I saw them tour Kill. Um, Where did you see them at? I saw them at the New Daisy Theater in Memphis, Tennessee. Mm. It was Cannibal was headlining. I believe Necrophages was direct support. Um, Dying Fetus opened, mm. and then Unmerciful played, which is another like California tech death band. I've seen them twice. Mm-hmm. I saw they them both, both times me. with you. Yep. First time would have been at the uh, Exit Inn in Nashville, just to kind of make it full circle. First show there. Uh, first time seeing Cannibal. This tour was with oh, that was uh, rad. Gate Creeper and Power Trip. Yeah, it was a um, rad tour. Incredible. Uh, huge moment to huge moment for me to finally get to throw my little body inside the hammer smash face pit. Um, but yeah, probably one of the, I don't know if it was the first time I'd seen gate creeper, maybe the second time I got to see power trip. Cause we also saw them. We saw power trip in Nashville at the marathon on that very odd tour. It was like power trip, deaf heaven, 
um, Lamb of God and Anthrax. That's it. That's it. Um, I got to see, I got to see Power Trip in a VFW hall. Oh yeah, yeah, with uh, a couple buddies of our uh, Nick and Wyatt. That's right. Uh, we went to Louisville, and I'm gonna get grief for that. Uh, but we <laughs> saw them play in a VFW hall, and it was crazy. Uh, my favorite thing. I remember about that marathon show was power trip coming out on stage and, and Riley going, we're power trip from Dallas, Texas, and I'm way too high for this shit. And then just <laughs> go, does a jump hit and then just kicks into the song. Uh, but to bring it back to cannibal, uh, just an amazing show. And then, you know, anybody who is familiar with that scene in Nashville, just, um, you know, especially on that kind of rock block area, mm-hmm. you know, you could either, uh, hang out at like Cafe Coco up the street or yep. uh, at the time you could go across the street and get a slice from like Obie's just <laughs> covered in black t-shirt lint all over your wrist from all the sweat. Uh, the second time was probably a little bit more memorable. We yeah. drove to uh, <laughs> Memphis, Tennessee at a little venue called, uh, what was it? Growlers? Growlers. That's it. It yeah. still exists. Which basically just seems like a sports bar that they moved the booths yeah. out of the way for the venue uh cannibal i'm the i guess the most recent tour would have been uh the uh, violence unimagined tour i would think so um, we saw them on that was the last tour of the red before black album cycle okay that, that was make, actually yes pat's that's last tour that is correct yes uh yeah pat's last tour they were touring with uh, uh, Rutan in Hate Eternal, and then Harm's Way opened. Which, Local boys for you. Oh man, uh, what a Those band! Poor guys, man, that whole sound. I don't know what happened. If it was, I, I could see that they were using like a pad, an iPad, and uh, I guess they'd be able to answer it more than I could. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like the whole system just reset on them, so they're having to yeah. play their set while they rough. kind of redo whatever the settings and um, just try to get get it at a at the level they had it before. Uh, but yeah, I think it just, the whole system just kind of crapped out and reset. They had to figure it out during their whole set. Contrary to bad sound, contrary to just like that being a rough trip for us because it was four hours. Uh, oh, God, it was so long. <laughs> I've seen Cannibal four times, and that was the fourth, and they sounded just as vibrant as the last three times I saw them. And I I saw them on the Kill Tour, the Evisceration Plague Tour, uh, two times in the Red Before Black tour, mm-hmm. and I I'm always stoked when I see that band. I mean, they could be in an opening spot for 30 minutes, and I'd be excited. Uh, this band is phenomenal with how they write. Um, I love the fact that everybody in that band writes and has the opportunity to write. I think Absolutely. George is the only one that doesn't write, and they write all his lyrics for him. And it's 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 so fun to think about that. Um, this is an Alex Webster written track. Um, uh, and who is their bass player and has been their bass player since the beginning of the band. Um, you know, I think if anybody goes and looks at a Cannibal Corpse album and they look at the writing credits, Alex's name is probably there 50 to 70 percent. Uh, Paul does a lot of writing as well, but yep. something about this album in particular just had Alex all over it. He wrote this, he wrote The Time to Kill Is Now, he wrote uh, Death Walking Terror. Or, uh, or sorry, he wrote uh, "Make Them Suffer," uh, not as well as "Time to Kill" is now. Um, I mean, this album just just hits hard. I mean, I can't say anything else about this record. You know, it's. I think when it goes down to the legacy of like death metal, this one's going to be really high up there. 
with a lot of bands. All right. So one thing I think we're going to start doing at the end of these episodes is um, highlighting uh, music that we've been listening to uh, lately and just stuff I think people should be checking out. This band has a direct tie to Cannibal, uh, the band uh, we've been discussing here for a little bit. Uh, Heaven's Gate, uh, kind of a little super group uh, compiled of Paul uh, from Cannibal on drums uh, and Tony? as well as uh, Tony Foresta of Municipal yeah. Waste, Iron Reagan, all that good stuff. Uh, Mike Gu, uh, Jeff Howe, I believe is how you would pronounce that. But mm-hmm. um, they released an, a self-titled EP uh, towards the beginning of this year, back in January. But I think everybody is pretty much kind of located in uh, Tampa Bay, Florida, and just kind of came together in uh, Flor- Florida uh, and put this together. And uh, it was... So they had put out like a single called uh, Jerusalem uh, Syndrome last year. And it, it did wind up on this uh, self-titled EP. But having listened to all of it, um, Smear Crusade, Into the Sinkhole, this thing has riffs. It's so fun uh, for being just kind of a, you know, I don't really know what the how this came together other than just being um, – all in the same area. I'm sure some of these bands have all toured with each other at some point or another, but there's five tracks and one song barely crosses the four minute mark. The others oh, cool. are barely over two. So it's a really quick listen. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And, um, you know, Tony's one of my favorite vocalists in the whole world of, you know, this kind of music. Uh, only guy that sounds like Paul Bailoff. He's, a lot better, but yeah. Oh, <laughs> that, not to say that's not a yeah. shot at Paul. I just, no, no, no. I think Tony is, by far one of those guys who has a distinct vocal quality. Yeah. Um, I'm always going to check out his stuff. I've been a fan of his a long time. And then if you have Paul on drums kind of backing that, Oh man, you're in for a treat. So heaven's gate, their self-titled is out now. Uh, I don't know if they have any physical releases of it, but um, they, uh, I think it's out through beach impediment records. Actually there is. So he- the heaven's gate self-titled is out now. Uh, it's streaming, but uh, they do have some physical copies on uh, on vinyl, some different color variants through uh, Beach Impediment Records, uh, which is a uh, to kind of tie it into uh, Municipal Waste. It's a Richmond based record label. So this uh, this band doesn't really have any tie in with what we're talking about today, other than that is a death metal band, mm-hmm. um, kind of a modern death metal band, probably a little bit more of a core influence to it. Uh, but I'm actually going to uh, go back to um, kind of where I grew up. There's a, uh, a, you know, modern death metal band, deathcore, however you want to, you know, you know, refer to it, named uh, Fleshbound from Arkansas. And they released a, a single, I guess a couple weeks ago now, called Terminal Lucidity. Okay. Um, and it's just a great track with, like, modern touches, a lot of slams to it. Um, it's got a, a guest vocalist from a band from Arkansas called Gore Pig, which tie into the Arkansas Razorbacks, I guess. I don't know. Go Pig. It's a, cool, Pig. it's a cool band nonetheless. Uh, this is really cool stuff uh, for people that just like really gnarly death metal. This is this is great. Uh, they have an EP that came out last year uh, called it's just self-titled. Uh, I mean, I this band might have some CDs. They I mean, you can get it on streaming. Uh, I'm wearing one of their shirts right now. Uh, I mean, if you want to hit them up for merch, whatever they've got, I believe they have a big cartel. Um, 
And I mean, it's Fleshbound. I mean, you can look up Fleshbound on Facebook, Instagram. I would say give them a like, check them out. Um, but I was really impressed by them. Uh, I was, I'm really, I'm really bummed at the fact that bands like this didn't necessarily exist when I was there because I played in what I would refer to as a modern death metal band at that point. Mm-hmm. And it would have been great to play shows with a band like this. Excellent. I'm definitely looking forward to talking more riffs in the next episode. Uh, going to be talking about a couple more death metal tracks specifically, but uh, also I think this is going to be something that we continue to do is just spotlight uh, some new music or just some stuff that we've been listening to uh, in between episodes. But if you'd like to give us a follow, go to at distortion 891 on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter for all updates on the show. Uh, there's a riffs on repeat playlist on Spotify that you can listen to as well. But until then we'll see you next time.